Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Hey, everybody, this is David. Before we get started, just want to let you know we've got a bit more adult language than usual in this week's episode, so consider yourself warned if you've got sensitive ears around. And now, on to this week's podcast. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about advertising, marketing, media, pop culture, technology, because in the end, everything's an ad for worse something else. I'm David Greiner. I'm an editor with Adweek.com. And with me, as always, is Tim Nudd, our creative editor. Tim, how is life in Maine today? It is lovely. Thank you, David. Is it cold there yet? Pretty chilly, but nice. We got the fire going. Well, it is a lovely day here in Scenic Hell's Kitchen, Manhattan, where I've also got Christina Monlos, our frequent contributor, staff writer, and producer on the podcast. Christina, how are you today? Just dandy. How are you? I'm good. And first-time guest but long-time staffer, Robert Clara, senior editor and frequent writer on the site. He specializes in uh, the history of brands and is also our guru for all things Brand Genius, our annual list of the best and brightest marketers, which he will be talking about today. Robert, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, David. Thank you for inviting me down the hall. It is so good to have you. Uh, Today on the podcast, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about Brand Genius, our annual list of the best in marketing. Uh, We're going to be talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger. Spoiler alert, he is one of our brand geniuses. And also his presidential aspirations uh, that uh, came up in this week's issue of Adweek. Uh, And we will be talking about uh, some news from the return of one of the year's most awarded campaigns of the past year, and also some pretty uh, heavy news on the tech side. And on that note, let's dive into news. Opt Outside, I'm sorry, hashtag Opt Outside, uh, was one of the most awarded and celebrated campaigns. I would call it an ad campaign, but it almost isn't. It's like, a, Tim, what did you call it? An anti-promotion campaign? I think it, yeah, an anti-ad campaign. Exactly. So this was REI's uh anti-Black Friday campaign. They did uh, the outdoor outfitter basically decided uh, last year to close on Black Friday, the biggest retail day of the year. And uh, this ended up becoming a massive uh, kind of PR coup for them, a a social movement. Uh, Other businesses decided to join in and it really sparked a national or conversation about Black Friday. They are bringing it back. No real surprise there. They're going to try to make it bigger and better. They're bringing in partners like Subaru and Google, uh, and I'm sure it will be uh, quite a big thing this year. Robert, why do you think this was such a massively successful campaign? It won just about every award in every advertising category. It's almost, as Tim says, an anti-advertising campaign. Why was it such a success? I think that part of the reason was that for years now, we've seen a race on the part of retailers to take every opportunity that they can get to sell what they're selling. And uh, the holiday shopping season keeps moving back and back and back. And then all of a sudden, you have this unusual move where a brand says, no, no, we're not going to do this. 
Uh, and uh, I, I think it caught a lot of attention. I think it focused on quality of life issues uh, that were very current now because the National Dialogue centers around uh, employment and wages. And uh, this brand was emphasizing quality of life of its workers. And it was a very, very well-timed move. I'm not surprised that, that, it's, uh, that it's growing in popularity. Christina, were you surprised by the success of it initially, but then also the success it had, again, on it won huge at Cannes, it won huge at uh, the One Show? I mean, it just really seemed to kind of dominate the ad industry discussion of last year and really was maybe the most kind of celebrated campaign of the last year. Did that surprise you, or, or do you think that the ad industry kind of needed something like this? No, I don't I don't think it was surprising. I think the ad industry loves when they're able to do something that is actually good for people and celebrate something that, you know, people that seems to be clicking with people. Even though I'm sure this year um they're not going to have REIs. I think it was the CEO, they're not going to have him on Reddit again and do do one of those chats. I've I've got to imagine. Um because no. uh, last year he uh really got grilled about their their work practices and their their wages, right? Well, it's one of those things where a lot of companies have to um if they're going to say something in their marketing, they have to have that be clear in their actions through and through. And um you know, with them, with this, it's like it's a great statement. It's um, something that I think I think a lot of companies should do. And yeah, there is the fact that we're kind of like applauding this company for doing what it should do. <laughs> um, in you know, in the face of companies like. I don't know, Macy's or something like that, where it's like, oh, we're going to open even earlier. <laughs> um, there is there is that. But still, you know, at the end of the day, it's like this is kind of heartwarming. People yeah, like we're, we're coming on to that time now where in the news you're going to start hearing about doorbuster sales and people that have been trampled, uh, you know, in the rush to get to some something that's been marked down by 9% that was marked up by 9% a few weeks earlier. And uh, I, I just think that this is a message for the times. What I really appreciate, and I think this kind of got um, – the public probably didn't notice this all that much, but uh, you know, from a marketing perspective and a tech perspective, there were so many elements to this thing last year. A lot of people just really saw it as the idea of closing and the hashtag. Uh, they had a you know an online tool to help you find trails. They had uh, just all these interactive elements that went that really took this very simple idea, this hashtag idea, and built it out to a a kind of a sprawlingly complex thing. It was basically I don't know how much of that got consumer engagement, but they. they you know, they could have boiled this thing down a lot simpler and it still would have been effective. But, you know, props to REI, to Venables Bell, the agency that they worked with and, and several of their other agency partners uh, for making something that, uh, you know, I don't think it'll necessarily have as much attention this year because uh, it won't be quite as dramatic. But it will be interesting to see how they continue to build on it. You know, one thing I want to say about Opt Outside, first of all, it's kind of amusing because a year or two before Opt Outside, uh, Patagonia did a sort of a mini Opt Outside. with It was just a single newspaper ad. I think it ran in the Times, maybe the Journal. It said, don't buy this jacket. And it was kind of a, it was a mini kind of like tweak on Black Friday. And so, you know, I think REI, what, what REI did was take an existing sentiment because there had also been a few other brands like Kohl's who had closed on Black Friday or said, we're not going to open early for you. Like this sentiment had been around. And I think what REI did was basically kind of, you know, galvanize it and turn it into a movement. And, and that was what the real, the real uh, genius of this thing was. And, and then furthermore, the other thing I want to say is that um, the irony of Opt Outside is that it's a huge branding campaign. You know, the, the companies that are signed on for this, and I, I think in the story that we ran this week, it says that 200, it has 275 partners this year, which is pretty phenomenal. It sounds like REI has been taking meetings basically for 12 months trying to expand this thing out. But every, you know, every one of those companies and, and brands who signed on to this, are, they're not looking for less attention. They're looking for more attention. And they're just looking for more attention for their own cause. Uh, and, and to fit into this, you just have to kind of be outdoorsy. Like, look at... Um, Subaru, like the most outdoorsy of all the of all the automakers, signs on to this. Google, um, which can sign on to almost anything since it's it's such a uh, you know free form brand, signs on to 
um, support outdoor focused nonprofits. And then you've got a whole slew of outdoor brands that are, that are sort of piggybacking, piggybacking on this too. So, I mean, what, what, what shouldn't be forgotten is that this is a huge business play. It's, and, and it's positioned as anti, you know, anti-consumerist, but it's, it's designed to grow these businesses. Yeah. Good point. Uh, moving on to another big story of the past week on Friday, we had a Massive round of crippling cyber attacks uh, that hit the East Coast, Southern California, much of North America. Uh, America really got hammered. Uh, I, I personally feel like I kind of dodged the worst of it. I had some trouble getting on Twitter, but a lot of stuff, maybe because I, I'm based in the Southeast United States, uh, so it wasn't quite as bad for me, and I kind of wondered why everyone was freaking out, but then I saw the, the scope of it afterward. So what was interesting from our perspective about this is much of this DDoS attack came through connected devices, Internet of Things, these, whether it's a uh, uh, kind of a nanny cam or a toy or these little appliances that all have Internet access, everything in your house. I mean, a lot of people's refrigerators these days have Internet access. All of those have been uh, the security weaknesses have been leveraged by these hackers to turn that into a, a malware bot army that basically uh, perpetuated much of this DDoS attack. I really think this is going to be the moment that changes the way we look at Internet of Things devices, which have kind of been a bit of a, you know, punchline of a joke. Like in the last year, it's like, oh, like I just said, you know, your refrigerator is connected to the Internet. But I think now the government is having large conversations with a lot of these tech companies about you've really got to step up your security game. A lot of the corporations are saying that the government needs to be more involved in creating uh, more uh, secure platforms to begin with and demanding those standards. Tim, what do you think we're going to see uh, in terms of the impact this has on these connected devices and the way that we as consumers kind of think about them? Well, you know, I, I don't know what the solution is here. It's, it's, a, it's obviously a very uh, nitty-gritty tech problem, um, but it, it does go to, go to show how much of business is really reliant on the Internet. I mean, at Adweek, we felt it, like you said, in kind of a small way. Um, but we weren't, you know, we weren't able to push out and distribute our content properly last Friday. And, you know, that's minor compared to what some of these small businesses went through where they lose a, you know, a day of business, which can be, you know, in many cases crippling if you have a, a really small business. Um, as far as how you go about combating this, I mean, I don't know how you begin to do that. But um, the upside of, of such a big attack, of course, is that it becomes, you know, a focus of the media to, to tell the story a bit better. And it's being told, I think, more. And it's also a focus of the presidential race, you know, um, it was a kind of a joke in the first first debate uh, with with Trump just clearly not having any idea about it uh, either. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the Internet of Things, what, what the future is for that. I mean, I think obviously the the it's not going away. So the idea is going to be to patch up these these security holes versus, um, you know, rethink the idea of connected devices. You know, that's not going to happen. There's too much invested in these things. So it's really, I think, going to be about uh, you know trying to trying to come up with with patches that are as sophisticated as, as what the hackers are doing. I don't know. I have no interest in, like, getting a connected fridge. I feel like maybe if you were, like, on the fence about it, and then you were like, oh, yep, no. Like, nope. Yeah, well, and a lot of times I, I think they've reached a point <laughs> where they don't even promote it all that much. Like, you know, you just assume you buy a TV now, it's going to be a connected TV. And, yeah. and to an extent, that's awesome because – it means that you're going to get constant firmware updates without having to, like old school, you had to plug your appliances into an internet kit. Like no one was going to do that. Uh, and now a lot of these Wi-Fi enabled devices, uh, you know, I do wonder if a lot of this was perpetuated by the fact that people don't update firmware on these devices because you don't think about it. I'm not criticizing people for not doing that. It's not a common behavior. Whereas if your phone tells you, like my, they, I, I won't name names, but several people I know kind of admitted the other day that they have not upgraded their their phone from like a few versions of iOS. That's way more dangerous than people think it is. Like they 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 just pointed out a flaw in the iOS uh, on iPhones that if you looked at a malicious JPEG, you didn't have to click it, you didn't have to download anything. If you looked at a JPEG that had malicious code put into it, it would allow hackers access to your phone. That's freaky. They patched it, but the, but Apple was very closed-mouthed about it. They didn't say anything. They just patched it out at some point. But if you haven't upgraded in a few versions, that may still be a vulnerability. And that's what a lot of these hackers rely on, is that you're not always updating. And these devices were at the bottom of the list of things you would update. The internet is bad. And here we are, right <laughs> on it. 
Hot take. Hot take from Christina. Speaking of hot takes from Christina, tell us about the ANA Masters of Marketing. This is the annual gathering of marketers in Orlando, I think. Yeah, it's in Orlando. Um, I think maybe the most important thing to note, it's not the most important thing to note, but the very fun bit of being in Orlando was seeing uh, many, many, many marketing professional professionals lose their shit over the Backstreet Boys. Everyone was singing along and dancing along, and it was it was the 90s. The way the they, they like played at the like a, the, a closing event or something? Yeah, they they did not play at the closing event. They played Thursday night. Um, I thought they, they were serving drinks. <laughs> I mean, nope. Um, they played like a medley of their hits, um, and, you know, Backstreet was back. They played, Um, but more importantly, um, there were a bunch of marketers there, uh, a bunch of initiatives launched. Um, You know, it seems as though the ANA and the board that is, um, you know, behind it are are trying to make sure that they're... um, carrying out initiatives that people care about. You know, there's a gender initiative that they have now. They want to make sure that CMOs are grooming younger talent and making sure that they're interested in marketing. And, you know, um, there was all of all of the, like, sessions where you go over, like, what was what worked well for these different brands over the last year. And then, of course, you had Gary Vaynerchuk curse out the entire industry and tell everyone they were doing it wrong, which is, um, you know, maybe exactly what you would expect from Gary Vaynerchuk. But the fact that he called um, basically everyone in the room a fuckface, um, you know, it, it, it like a literal. Yeah, um, it, it it got people interested. I mean, you know, it was cool. <laughs> What was his point? I mean, what what are they doing wrong? Is this some uh, authenticity thing? What are... No, it was. Uh, I think the exact quote was something along the lines of, "If you're marketing to people under 22 and you're creating like a beautiful 30 second spot for television, you're a fuckface, because you should be on Snapchat." or you should be on whatever the new platform is after Snapchat. He doesn't really care about what the platform is. He he cares about where someone's attention actually is, and it's not, in his mind, TV. Right. I mean, it's it's all obvious. T- it's all TV dies before. once again. Um, what was the reaction to that? I mean, could you feel whether the room just kind of rolled their eyes or were they no, like, yeah? Every, everyone was like, yes, um, because he was also like, he was also kind of saying like everyone. <laughs> everyone was a fuckface because they all know it. Like, they all know that people aren't watching their beautiful 30-second ads on TV. Um, and, you know, they know that their that attention is in different places now, but they're, you know, continuing to do it the way that they have done it because that's the way that it's been done, and they have a hard time, you know, moving away from that. Hmm. Any other trends of discussion, major topics that came up other than the ones we talked about in our preview last week? Mm, um, not, not really. I mean, it was definitely something where a lot of brands that maybe you wouldn't necessarily think about were sort of saying, like, here's how we use this marketing and this initiative to bring our brand back. You know, Barbie, which is also one of our brand genius winners, was there sort of giving that presentation. Um, Georgia Pacific was talking about um, uh, the paper towel brand, uh, Brawny, and, you know, how through the interesting marketing that they'd done, they'd sort of gotten some some interest in the brand. So it was like about how uh, by moving away from something that they'd done before or any sort of stereotypes and like, you know, coming at um, marketing these products from from a different place has been impactful. I mean, it's all about these marketers sharing like the lessons that they've learned over the last year. It's much more um, present presentations of like, here's what we're doing. It's good. 
<laughs> than, than like a panel discussion. Well, thank you for covering that and uh, catching us up on it. Time to move on to my favorite part of the show each week, ads worth watching. Tim, every week uh, you round up the ads that are actually worth taking some time out of your life to watch, uh, which is the the highest praise you can possibly give to advertising. What have you got for us this week? So, yeah, we've got two weeks left to go before the election. Um, So we've still got time for some more interesting political work. Um, So last week we talked about those anti-Trump billboards that uh, the makers of Cards Against Humanity did. Uh, operating as the super PAC called Nuisance Committee. So those those ads were really good. Um, this week, we also had a pretty clever uh, out-of-home campaign. This was more of a, a one-time stunt um, by Widening Kennedy, which is, of course, the great creative uh, indie agency out in Portland, Oregon. So last Friday and Saturday, um, and we did a story on this Monday, they, they rolled out a, a new food truck in Portland, and it was called Donald Trump's BS. And uh, you could stop by there if you're in the area for lunch. It was open at lunch, and you could get um, any of five different types of bologna sandwiches, since of course Trump um, serves up nothing. So, but so the BS the was so, bologna sandwiches. Yes, BS stood for bologna sandwiches, and uh, they were free. You could just come by at lunchtime, and uh, they had they came with wrappers that had text on them. Uh, debunking various uh, statements Trump has made throughout the campaign, everything from um, his position on the Iraq war, which he has tried to obscure, um, to his statements about manufacturing and, and youth, youth employment and all sorts of different topics. So, um, I mean, I know we, we, we seem to be anti-Trump all the time here. Um, but you know, I really thought this was a pretty hilarious stunt. Um, so did you guys see that one? What did you guys think of it? Yeah. I mean, I think the, um, I think if it hadn't been such a kind of an established agency, it would have felt almost too easy. But I think uh, Wyden brought some some fun twist to it. I did love that it was when I first saw it. I was just like, well, if you're going to make a food truck joke, BS is a weird one. Like you know, versus calling it like his hot mess or I don't know of like giving it some name. But the uh, the I, I also kind of like bologna sandwiches. That that's a hot take right there. <laughs> I don't think anyone likes bologna sandwiches. I if they were. <laughs> <laughs> they were probably pretty good. Um, I do think it's worth noting that, like, I've seen on Facebook for a while some, like, viral post of, like, a tiny um, sandwich shop that had on its placard outside, you know, you can get a Trump sandwich here. It's, like, white bread. It's bologna. It's uh, mayonnaise. And it's I, – I, there was some sort of pickle that also made uh, – that was part of the joke. And, like – so it's not an entirely like original idea to serve bologna sandwiches when it comes to Trump, but I think the way that they did it in like packaging it the way that they did is really cool. Um, and again, like yeah, we do seem kind of anti-Trump, um, but it's just that the marketing is more interesting. Yeah, we keep waiting for the creative. We keep waiting for those creative Trump ads. They don't. They have not been. Yeah, I mean, I really do feel like we're less biased. Uh, a, a, you know, pro Hillary is so much as just that the campaign, the creativity that's been brought out by uh, the, the official Hillary campaign, but then also to your point about the nuisance committee and just these kind of uh, tangential uh, groups. I think this is an election where a lot of people are going to be voting not so much for Hillary as against Trump. And I think that's aroused a certain kind of level of passion that you just don't don't see. Robert, we haven't had you on since the election's gotten going. Uh, you've, you know, you look at the history, you've written books about the history of politics. What's your take on this election and how it's going to be remembered? It, it, not, not to get a tangent off our great advertising, but I am curious. You know, I, it's funny. I've been thinking a lot recently about the 1948 election uh, where everybody was absolutely convinced that Thomas Dewey was going to be put into the White House and Truman didn't have a chance. And it's made me personally speaking a little bit nervous. Uh, I, I keep checking that map on, what is it, 538? When I keep looking at those percentages and they're pretty dramatic now. Uh, but um, I, I feel like we've been hearing a lot of polls and what we hear less about is 
the way that people tend to respond to polls is often at variance with the way that they actually vote. And what they do behind that curtain is often pull a lever for somebody that they don't want to tell their friends that they pulled a lever for. Uh, so I am going to be biting my nails right down to the night before. Uh, and in that sense, I guess I'm going to be kind of like pulling a Harry Truman this year. Um, about Mr. Trump, if I could just throw this in, although I'm not plugging my own work. Uh, I did a piece a while ago about Donald Trump's deep roots and marketing tradition. Uh, it was actually Donald Trump that introduced America to the stuffed crust pizza. That's why I eat my pizza backward to this pizza. day. Uh, that's right. I mean, he was a trendsetter way back. But the crazy thing about that ad, apart from, forgive me, how cheesy it really was, was that at that time, and I was – it's still living in New York at that time. Uh, it's a, Trump was something of a folk hero back then, and people were not cynical about him. You know, he was a lot younger and, you know, uh, not a bad-looking guy. And uh, it was a, a darling of the tabloids, and he was self-effacing, uh, forgivably arrogant. But something of a New York uh, – I don't know if New York could have a cowboy folk hero. That's who he was. He was a real estate cowboy folk hero. How many more metaphors can I mix here? But uh, – to look at it now from hindsight and to realize that that commercial went over, that was big, that was cool, gives you a sense of exactly how far uh, the public opinion of this man has come. And getting back to your election theme, I, I'm hard-pressed to name any campaign um, that – I mean, we've seen campaigns that were as contentious and vicious as this. I can't call to mind a campaign where a major party advanced a candidate that was as ill-prepared to take the reins of office as, as Mr. Trump is. And I'm sorry, that's a historical statement, not a personal one. All right. Well, Tim, we hijacked your uh, commentary on the Wyden food. Yeah, great, great segue for you, Tim. <laughs> but what no else have you got for us? Well, so, yeah, so this, you know, this election has really also obscured one other, one other fact, which is that this coming Monday is Halloween. Yeah, it is. And nobody, no, nobody seems to be talking much about that with the election uh, coming the week after. But um, we haven't really had too many fun Halloween ads this year. We did have the Kit Kat one from Chance Anomaly a week or two ago with Chance the Rapper dressed up, buying candy, um, and, and, and he buys a Kit Kat that's got uh, his face on it, which is Chance the Rapper, W-R-A-P-P-E-R. Um, so that was a pretty good spot. Um, but it's been kind of a, a bit of a wasteland for Halloween spots this year. Um, but we did find a good campaign today. Uh, we wrote about this today. It was from WD-40. Um, and this is a product, of course, that um, is, is intended to make your doors less creaky, uh, among other uses. It's a lubricant. Um, but of course, at Halloween, you want the creakiest doors you can get. Um, so WD-40 came up with this app. And you download the app, and you can select one of three creepy creaky door sounds and then you hang your phone in a bag on the on the door and when the trick-or-treaters come to your house um when you open the door it activates the app and it it uh it, it creates this these horrible uh haunted creaky door sounds so you, you get to give the kids a scare um now i didn't actually i haven't tried the app but i just uh i love the product connection you know this brand sort of undoing its main product benefit can you um, can you try it out on your kids and then report back? I guess what I don't get about this is you, I'm supposed to like hang my phone in a bag outside on like the most hijinks filled <laughs> night of the year and hope that like kids like smash stuff all over your 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 porch. Well, you can have it on the inside when like you open it's for when you open your door to yeah, like okay. give candy the to inside, the trick or treaters. Yeah. The inside of the door. Yeah. God. And they're not Yeah, that's that's what the product video They're not necessarily going to like reach around and be like, "I know there's a phone in there." I, I thought the idea was you you just you'd put the phone in a bag of healthy treats and nobody would touch it. <laughs> You put you put it in with the granola bars and <laughs> the wrapped right. pennies. And it's it's under the Werther's Originals. <laughs> and the Werther's Originals are good. Hot take. <laughs> I'll be I'll be a stand for Werther's. Um, no, I appreciate that this that one WD forty of all brands is like you know what. This is our Halloween. We're getting in on this creaky doors. That's what we fix. Here we go. It's smart. I love that. I mean, idea. That, this is I about as on brand dumb. as you could possibly get, yeah. and uh, and you know, they're. I, I got to take my hats off to my hat off to them. They're. Uh, uh, I, I wrote about WD forty in perspective some time ago, and uh, it is just an amazing. The the formula itself was something of an accident. It was, 
you know, they kind of stumbled across it and 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 uh, it was reverse engineering at its best. They had this thing and gee, I wonder what it's good for. You know, oh yeah, it, it takes care of creaking doors and it's good for your locks too. And uh, and they solicit uses from consumers to you know to write in. They've done this as part of their marketing. Uh, tell us what WD forty is good for. And I saw that list and and it's everything short of I don't know uh, you know uh, a, a t- getting a loose crown out of your mouth for your dentist. WD forty is good for everything. Um, and uh, I, I just think that what they're doing here is not only fun, but it redirects attention to what the brand is for. And I, that's the best kind of marketing there is. I mean, here we are talking about WD-40, so it's working on some level. I mean, I use it to clean guitars. It's Mm -hmm. like the one thing you can spray a rag down and, like, clean every inch of a guitar with. Um, Pro tip from some guitar shop guy. Uh, So, yeah, it's it's a great product. Also wanted to give a shout-out to the agency that did this app, Um, agency I'd never heard of in Toronto called uh, BIM, B-I-M-M. Uh, they run their name in all caps, so I don't know if they're actually, you're supposed to call them B-I-M-M, but BIM in Toronto did that, yeah. so kudos to them. All right, well, we've got time for one more. Why don't you pick one you want to talk about? Okay, so last week we talked about a potential segment called Ads Not Worth Watching, so I thought I would throw this one in. Um, Uber in Mexico City decided to put ads on drones and have them hover over drivers stuck in traffic with nasty messages about how they're ruining the environment. <laughs> What did you guys think of this one? Christina? I mean, come on. Just come on. Like, you can't be, like, using drones and invading people's space and then, give, like, giving them messages where they're, like, where you're telling them they're dicks. Like, no one's going to appreciate that. I mean, there's there's so many things that are wrong with this campaign. I mean, the the safety aspect, first of all. Well, yeah. Uh, and, and then the, the nasty message. I mean, the, fo- the photo was great, right? It was like these <laughs> drones being jerks over a highway, which is just a funny, funny image. And we ran this story last week, and uh, it was one of our most read posts of the week, I think just because it was so silly and ridiculous. And, you know, and it comes from Uber, which is, you know, such a major brand these days. I mean, it came from uber's uh mexico operation so it's it's probably one of those things where the the mothership brand didn't probably have much idea what was maybe what was going on down there um here's but man what a bad idea oh and i'm you know not for nothing but are uber drivers all buzzing around in solar powered cars no i mean that's what i take issue with and the other thing too is that well however it, it did uh promote this thing called uber pool which is a carpooling service through uber so in theory if you use uber pool you are helping the environment have you um, done it have i yes. personally used uber pool no it's yeah. awful as we all know the carpooling the great idea from the 70s has really caught on in cities across america it's it's just <laughs> right. awful well, yeah, supposedly you have to wait longer for your rides, but maybe that's a sacrifice you should and the, make. the but. people you end up in the car with, who oh boy. I just, I just don't think you can taunt people into changing their behaviors. I mean, as, as uh, like I watched the other day a TEDx talk out of, I think, Charlotte, but it was about how bad the plastics in the oceans problem has gotten. And, you know, they basically at the end, she, the, she said – I want everyone in this room and everyone watching to promise never to use a plastic straw ever again. And I'm not a big straw person, but I mean, I do buy them for my kids or whatever, but she's like, here's the scope of how bad this problem has gotten. And it was tremendously effective, but it wasn't like you, you're an ass for using straws. You're killing the environment by a steel straw. Like, that was effective for me because it wasn't taunting my personal behavior. And I think telling people that they're being jerks to the to the earth as they're just trying to get from one place to another is maybe a little little rough. I Hot agree with tip. That. People don't like it when you call them dicks. <laughs> <laughs> We've got some very simple uh, marketing truisms coming coming out today. <laughs> the other thing that was weird about the Uber thing, it, it showed the, the drones, uh, you know, they could only fly down if you were stuck in traffic. So that was a conceptual um, disconnect also. It's, it seemed to suggest that if you are if you used Uber, you wouldn't be stuck in traffic and you'd go faster, which had nothing to do with the message here. So bad idea, bad execution, bad Uber. All right. Well, thank you, Tim, for inaugurating our ads not worth watching uh, category and also rounding up some that are pretty good. As always, you can check out 
Tim's many other picks uh, every day of the week on AdFreak, our blog, and also uh, the Ad of the Day feature that we run every day, which Tim curates. Uh, so thank you as always, Tim. And we are going to move on. It's time for our big topic of discussion. This week's issue uh, in the print edition of Adweek is our brand genius issue that we put out every year. This is our roster of the best and brightest marketers. It's an award uh, ceremony that we're having uh, shortly after recording this. We're going to be heading over to the awards. Uh, but by the time this airs, all the secrets will have been revealed. So, Robert, I encourage you to feel free to be as uh, as open as you want about the surprises in store. Uh, on our cover this week is Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mildly surprising choice to some, as he was our brand visionary of the year. Robert, explain the thinking behind what is a brand visionary, and why did we pick Arnold? Well, the brand visionary award is not as old as the brand genius award, and it the visionary kind of grew out of necessity because every year we were honoring these incredibly creative brand builders, and frequently we honor them for, like, say, the past year's worth of work. Sometimes we go back 18 months, sometimes a little bit more than that. But we didn't really have the equivalent of a Lifetime Achievement Award. We didn't have anything to recognize the efforts of people who make incredible marketing year after year after year. Uh, and so that yielded the Brand Visionary Award, even though that's only one of the tenets of it. The other thing that we look for in a Brand Visionary is that they kind of transcend branding to, in effect, become brands themselves. And there aren't many people uh, who can do that. Uh, and uh, a very, very small pool that we choose from. Uh, but, uh, for example, uh, we gave it to um, uh, Ariana Huffington, who I think uh, anybody would uh, understand why. She is both a brand creator, uh, brand promoter, and a brand. Uh, and uh, this year, uh, the jury uh, spoketh and said uh, Mr. Schwarzenegger. So... Tell us what you think he has really brought to – we all know that he has, of course, been a tremendously huge movie star. Uh, his role in politics is very well known as governor of California. Uh, but what is his brand impact in the traditional marketing sense? Yeah, this is this is where I'm actually really excited to be shining a light on him or helping to do that. Uh, most people don't know – that uh, Arnold, if, if I could use his first name, if I could call him Arnold, if it not take offense at that, uh, he was actually, actually an entrepreneur before he was really even a well-known actor. Uh, and uh, even before he made his public debut in Pumping Iron, which is way back in 1977, uh, he had already started his own contracting company. Uh, he started investing in real estate. Uh, he started uh, a mail order business for uh, health products, you know, shakes and powders and that kind of thing. And I, the term that I've been using for him is that he's kind of like a capitalism's renaissance man in a way uh, because he's an actor, producer and director, uh, but also an investor, an entrepreneur, politician, as you noted. Uh, he's an author. And, uh, and a philanthropist. And so when we recognize him, we're really recognizing a celebrity brand in the best sense. And by that, I mean he can stand for a brand. As some of you might remember, he was in the Bud Light Super Bowl ad in uh, 2014. Uh, with that, I, I assume that was a wig. Uh, he builds his own brands. There is something, I, this is news to me, something called the Arnold Classic Bodybuilding Competition. Uh, not exactly the world that I move in, but, uh, you know, I, I, I would, that's a really, really good brand extension of a personal brand, right? Uh, and he's also been able to deploy his celebrity to promote other cause, to promote causes, cause marketing. Uh, and in particular, he has done a, a climate change series for National Geographic, and he has his own charity uh, called After School All Stars. And so he's taken his celebrity and it made it a transcendent thing, uh, something that benefits uh, the brands that he gets involved with, his own brands, as well as worthy causes. And uh, when you fire on all cylinders like that and happen to be a household name, you're a brand visionary. You know, one thing that I think makes him especially relevant this year is that he is a Republican. Uh, he, I was living in California when he won the recall election, and he really came in 
uh, a bit of a jerk uh, toward the Democrats. He was really dismissive, kind of famously called the Democratic legislature girly men. Uh, it was He was a very proto-Trump in that regard, came in full of bluster and full of this kind of, I can cut through the red tape. I'm outside of the rules of, of politics and government because I have the backing of the people. He was this populist uh, Republican hero. Did not take him long to find out that's not how it works. And so very quickly, he basically said, I don't need the legislature's support. I can just put everything I want on the ballot. I can run everything through as a referendum. And he did. And they all lost every single one. And he gave what I think is one of the most mature speeches in the in the modern history of American politics, came out and basically said, I've been wrong. I've been handling this wrong. I've been disrespectful to the Democrats uh, and acknowledged that he had come into this. I think he had every reason to believe what he what he believed, but learned that he was wrong. And uh, just it was it was great to hear someone be that accountable and not just ignore it. And and so in this election where you have a Republican candidate uh, who, again, is kind of taking that but taking it to an even more of an extreme and to have Arnold in our interview uh, very explicitly saying he does not support Trump, uh, that he is uh, not a fan of, of where the party has gone this year, but also saying he wishes he could run uh, because this would have been the year he, he did that. That was our headline on our story, and that got a lot of attention on the Today Show and uh, all over. It's been blowing up. Uh, now, of course, he cannot run. The Constitution does not allow uh, non-Native you know, people born outside the United States to run. But I thought that was interesting that he's basically saying this would have been the year that I did it, uh, because, and I think he would have won if, he, if there were some loophole by which he could have done it. Uh, but the response to that article has been pretty fascinating because I think a lot of people want – if we're going to have a celebrity politician, it should hopefully be someone like that. And he's got his background problems with women as well. Uh, but again, I think he's shown some maturity and accountability uh, in owning up to a lot of those mistakes. Christina, what do you – you know, you, I, I was a child of the 80s, so I really kind of came up in this golden age of Schwarzenegger movies. You came up kind of more on his – downslide as he was going through a lot of personal and professional pro- what is your perspective on him as you know the arnold brand and a, of his vi- your, your vision of him terminator oh, okay yeah i mean i th- i think i am probably like uh, a lot of people my age um spoiler alert i'm a millennial um where, you know, if our parents were really into some Schwarzenegger movies, you end up seeing them, you end up being aware of his brand, and then also, you know, there's some sort of um, excitement in finding the really weird stuff that he's done. Um, I don't know if you guys would categorize Twins as a really weird movie. What's, what's weird about Twins? <laughs> it's a weird movie. It's a great movie. It's Danny DeVito's brother. I mean, I guess we're kind of getting like the 2016 version of that pair up now with um, Dwayne The Rock Johnson and uh, Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart, sure. Um, but, you know, it's it's hard. It's hard, I don't know. It's hard for me to imagine the room that was like, all right. This is good. Here we go. Everyone's going to love Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger as twins. Um, But, you know, aside from that, I think it's, um, you know, Schwarzenegger has been a really interesting character. I think, you know, seeing seeing a celebrity politician is frightening. Um, And, you know, as you were saying, he kind of proved that, like, armchair uh being like an armchair judge and coming in to uh, an establishment and sort of saying like i know how to revamp all of this even though i have done none of it doesn't really work he certainly was kind of a bit of a palate cleanser in the long run uh, of having a celebrity governor like jesse the body ventura who you know was elected largely on his film popularity as including starring in predator alongside arnold schwarzenegger um <laughs> But, what a uh, rich tradition he mines from. <laughs> and uh, Carl Weathers, I'm sure, will be the next uh, to, to run. Um, oh, that would be great. <laughs> the comparison with The Rock is interesting, isn't it? Like these guys that start out as kind of like, you know, sports bodybuilder type guys, and then they just through sheer force of their charisma, they break through into into Hollywood first, and then in, obviously in Arnold's case into so much more. 
Um, it's it's remarkable, really. I, I, mean, I, think I think that they find out almost by accident later on in their careers that they're actually likable, and you know that they actually have versatility uh, because both of those guys started out as uh, you know kind of quintessential badasses, right? I mean, you know, yeah. kicking ass in film, and then all of a sudden somebody I don't know maybe somebody at Disney said, uh, hey, you know, why don't you try smiling for once? And uh, I also think that both of them are possessed of the ability to to, uh, to kind of laugh at themselves, given some of what they've been up to. That's true. You know, and The Rock has more of this new agey kind of motivational aspect to him, whereas Arnold is kind of straightforward, like, uh, you know, you know, Terminator. And, and I don't know if it's a European thing, why, why we give him a pass on certain things. Um, he's obviously, He doesn't have a, uh, you know, he, ha- he does not have an unblemished history, but he's always gotten over those things. And uh, I think a lot of it too has to do with his, his heart is clearly in the right place. He does so much charity work. We've written on Adweek a lot about after school all-stars. Um, the spots that he does for that are often very, very amusing. And they often have him, I think there was the gold's gym ad where he was dressed up in disguise and, you know, he's not afraid to goof around and, and be kind of a silly person. And I think it's really helped his image in the long run. What do you think of his advertising appearances? I mean, it, they, I can't think of any that have uh, beyond the the kind of the Gold's Gym, which is also pretty silly. But you know, his it's Mobile Strike, right? Is the name of the the game? Yeah, that one's bad. Disappointing. I mean, that was a that was a Super Bowl spot, I think. And he's that was a, that was a poor use of him, though. That was like a personalityless use. Yeah, of him. I don't I mean, think it was him. I think it was the concept that was that was bad for that one. Well, he remains the. He remains the face of that app. He's on all of their, and they're they are dumping millions of dollars into advertising online, and it's all Schwarzenegger all the time. Uh, and it, it, yeah, there is just a certain cheesiness to it, but eh, probably a pretty good paycheck. And you know, as we discussed, he puts his money into pretty commendable places, uh, so uh, maybe it's forgivable. Yeah, and the Bud Light spot on the Super Bowl, which uh, Robert referenced, was, was pretty amusing. I thought, you know, he had a funny cameo at the end. You know, he's just a likable person. He's the he's the guy you want to run into uh, in a weird house playing ping pong against. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was a great use of him of like take this massively charismatic kind of famous figure and just turn him into this Bjorn Borg looking uh, ping pong player was uh, pretty stellar uh, use of him in the Super Bowl. Let's talk about some other brand geniuses, uh, Robert. Who were some of the others that really kind of got your notice this year and and that you think people may not be aware of? Well, we have uh, 10 to choose from. Uh, the ones that stood out for me uh, included uh, Lisa McKnight, uh, who was instrumental in the uh, not quite complete but uh, impressively uh, underway transformation of Barbie. Um, and uh, she and her team uh, were behind taking this doll that had debuted at the um, uh, when Eisenhower was in the White House and uh, uh, lo and behold, waking up to the fact that uh, not all girls, uh, not all women, uh, are slender, white, blonde-haired, uh, and look like something out of Beach Blanket Bingo. And uh, they, uh, it was uh, McKnight who was uh, instrumental in ushering in uh, different skin tones and body types for Barbie. Uh, my only question with that is why did this take so long to do? Um, but, uh, but it was done, and that's important. Uh, I also thought that um, the efforts of uh, Steve Fund at Intel were really interesting because Intel had a really strange uh, branding problem in that it wasn't like their business was down. They were always a very successful company. And, and, uh, and if you're my age, you remember that Intel inside uh, sticker. Uh, first on the keyboard on your desktop and then maybe on your laptop. And everybody everybody knew what that was, but they didn't really know what it did. Uh, they didn't understand what Intel meant uh, in terms of the technology that it develops and what it enables. And uh, Intel did some really great stuff this year, uh, not to bring us back to drones, but what they did with drones is actually extremely cool. Um, they did that formation of, I don't know, what was that, 100 drones or something like that in one place. They needed FAA clearance to do that. Um, they did that great thing at the Grammys uh, with um, with Lady Gaga in the, um, uh, the uh, projection technology. Uh, it was right on the heels of uh, David Bowie's passing, uh, which was a really terrific cultural moment, and uh, they used it tastefully and effectively. And, uh, you know, it's not easy to market a microchip 
Uh, there's nothing particularly sexy about that. And uh, I think Fund and his team did a really terrific job. I mean, as always, all of our winners are, are highly deserving. Uh, those two were the ones that stood out for me this year. Well, definitely check out, if you have not, uh, check out our Brand Genius profiles on adweek.com. Uh, as Robert mentioned, we've got 10 of them. We've got uh, Schwarzenegger is our brand visionary for the year. And we have Brand Save, which is our nonprofit uh, of the year. Uh, which is Pencils for... Pencils of Promise. Promise. Pencils of Promise. Thank you. Uh, And so look up, uh, just you can Google Adweek Brand Genius, get the whole list, and we will be celebrating all of the winners tonight. Uh, Before you listen to this podcast uh, with Arnold and with a few others, it should be a fun party. Rainbow Room. Yeah, at the Rainbow Room. Thank you, uh, Robert, for joining us for that. And remember, if you uh, have any thoughts you want to share with our panel, uh, we are at podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. We read all your emails. Love hearing what you have to say or any questions you've got. Coming soon, we've got our hot list voting continues. So if you look up Adweek hot list, I think there's still a link at the top of our homepage too. Uh, This is your chance to vote on the hottest in categories such as digital, uh, print magazines, and television. And so lots of things to vote for within those three categories. Next week is our social issue. And without giving it away, Christina, what can you tell us about what we can expect to see in the social issue next week? Uh, a, a, a profile of a human that has been important in a movement that is uh, happening and that shaped matters. by s- social media. All right. Um, as well as, you know, um, other social stuff. Wow, that was a really robust. Could, could, could you go over that again? I think I missed <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm, uh, I'm well, trying to keep some intrigue. I don't know. Keep an eye out for next week's social issue. We've got a great cover story, great profile that Christine has been working on and should be a a, uh, very cool read. Uh, And we have already started debating our agency of the year. So Adweek gives out uh, three awards each year, the U.S. Agency of the Year, the Global Agency of the Year, and the Breakthrough Agency of the Year, recognizing an agency that kind of... Uh, busted through to the global stage. Uh, so we have started that lengthy and and very time-consuming process, but it's also a great opportunity for us to go back over all the work and all the accomplishments of some of the best agencies in the world. And so uh, we will be turning all that into a fun collection of profiles and announcements uh, coming a bit later this year. That's it for this week's episode. Our theme music is by Home. This week's episode was produced by Christina Monlos and edited by Kevin Eck. Thank you, Christina. Thank you, Kevin. Please take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews mean a lot to us, and they help uh, more people find out about the podcast. Thank you to each of our panelists. Robert, thanks so much for joining for the first time. I hope you had fun. Thanks for having me. It was fun. All right. We will talk to you, all of you, next week. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan.